I don't know if you're familiar with the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, I only know this because I Googled it. Um, but the second law of thermodynamics basically says that all things are decaying. It's the idea that uh, something hot only has one option. If it doesn't continuously have a heating source, it cools down, right? So, so all of creation, essentially, the, the, the law would say, is heading towards further decline, further decay. Uh, and, and we kind of see that. We kind of, as a, in a theological perspective, understand that because we know that all of creation is under the curse of sin. Ultimately, God is going to uh, come. Jesus is going to come and make all things new again, new heavens, new earth, new creation, and, uh, and set all things right. We, we understand that. But until that point, creation is under that curse and, 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 and in some kind of decline or decay. I would argue, too, this isn't just specific to creative order, but it is also true of us. Like we, Spiritually speaking, I think left to our own uh, devices, we, we oftentimes can slip into some kind of level of spiritual decline and spiritual decay. I think the best way to explain this is that there is no stagnation when it comes to our spirituality. By that I mean we're either doing one of two things. We're either growing in Christ, becoming more like Him, or we're not. We're falling away from Him. There's really no kind of level, like I've, I've, I've gone not up or down. It's either, you know, bull or bear market when it comes to our spirituality. There's going to be a change, growing or, or decaying. And I think we see that true in Nehemiah 13 that we're going we're gonna to pick up today as well. And, and uh, I don't think i got to do a lot of convincing to get you to see the spiritual decay around us. Uh, last month was uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. Which, by the way, thank you. I've got several encouraging cards and, and gifts, uh, you know, from many of you. For the rest of you, there's always Christmas. Uh, <laughs> I kid. Uh, but last, last month was Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I, I read this thing about pastors in, in America. It said this, uh, that each month, 1,500 pastors leave the ministry due to moral failure, spiritual burnout, or contention in their churches. 50% of pastors' marriages will end in divorce. 70%, I'm talking about pastors. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. Almost 40% report that they've had extramarital affairs. And even if the truth is somewhere in half of those numbers, it's no wonder we are where we are, uh, the church in America. You see, there is a, a culture. We, we live in Babylon. <laughs> We're not living in Jerusalem here. We live in Babylon, which means that there is a pervasive culture impressing ever upon us to get us to compromise, to get us to, to, to fall away. There, there is an enemy that is that far more crafty than us, that his main objective is to steal, kill, and destroy a, the Imago Dei, but especially those who are covered in the blood of the Lamb. And so there's this constant like pressing in on us to, to compromise. I, I think about, um, you know, the, the um, film industry, movies, shows. Uh, you, 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 I was reading some stats in an article this week that, that says that uh, it, it's being viewed as a moral thing to put uh, sex into shows so that they can preach safe sex as opposed to unsafe sex, and, and hopefully that will help people make better decisions. Um, 
obviously we we understand that there's a god god has an idea about sex and that's what we should be teaching uh primarily in church uh and and to our children but you also have here i want to i want to be give you some stats that uh, of the top 20 shows among teenagers uh 20 percent of those shows um, included implied or, or depicted intercourse within the show. 83% of all of those uh, top teenage shows uh, have some kind of sexual content within them. 83%. Um, it's not limited to teenagers. You know, just primetime shows, 7 out of 10 have some level of sexual content in them. Um, to think, to think we're bubbled away from that and not affected by that would be foolish. Now, we live in the midst of Babylon. We, we, we live um, in, in, in an ever-pervasive culture that continues to press in around us. So, so there's constantly for us the temptation to compromise in our lives personally, in our families, in our decisions, in all that we do. There, there's this constant pressure to, to, to compromise uh, our lives. And, and, uh, and, and that's not a recent problem. That's what we're going to see in Nehemiah 13. And Nehemiah 13 is fascinating to me. Because if you would have cut off Nehemiah at chapter 12, it tells a completely different story. Let me, real quick. Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. He re rebuilds the walls in the first half of the book. Then he's rebuilding the community in the second half of the book. He, he's restoring unto them worship unto God. He's, he's restoring wor right worship to God in the temple. He, he's, they, they go through repentance. They, they walk through uh, you know, doing the festivals again and celebrating the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. They, they walk with him. They, they read the word. They make covenant together in chapter 10. Several things they covenant together they're not, they're not going to intermarry right they're going to keep the sabbath they're going to tithe they're, they're making this covenant uh, unto god they're going to they're going to walk in they're going to walk according to and then at the end of chapter 12 it says and they rejoice in the joy of the lord and if it ends there we just celebrate and say praise be to god isn't that awesome but it doesn't end there it doesn't end there Matter of fact, chapter 13 shows us how in every way they broke the covenant that they made to God and to one another. In every way they compromised what they had promised to keep. And Nehemiah is going to find out about this. He's going to come back and, and deal with it. Now, Nehemiah, we're going to see when we read the first uh, few verses, Nehemiah is gone. So he, remember, at the beginning of the book, he came from, from King Artaxerxes. He, he comes on mission to rebuild the walls, rebuild the community. He does that, and he, he wasn't relieved from his duties as cupbearer to the king. So he's got to go back, and, and, and if you remember when Artaxerxes asked him, he says, how long are you going to be gone? He didn't say you could go forever. He said, get your tail in back here like I need you, right? And so he has to come back, and, and so he does that. And we don't know how long he's gone, but when he returns to Jerusalem, it's at least long enough time for the people of God to, have, to again, have compromised where they have covenanted. Now, uh, we see short-lived reform um, and, and, and Nehemiah returning, and, and he's, he's got a word to say about that. Now, any lesser man would have washed his hands of that. Right? You, you know, I, I just imagine being Nehemiah and walking into Jerusalem and be like, no, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Well, I've already tried this. It didn't work. I'm going to go 
try somewhere else, I guess, you know. Uh, but he doesn't. He says, okay, you know, I'm calling them back to repentance. I'm calling them back to the covenant they have kept. So, so a couple of things that we're going to see here, uh, you know, the overarching goal of today is I want us to be aware of spiritual compromise. We're going to see it in Nehemiah. I want, to, I want us to be aware of it in our own life and how to confront it, how to strongly confront it. And we're going to see Nehemiah uh, work in that way. Now, the other thing you're going to see about about Israel at this point is there there really is no other leader now um, likely it's it's in in a lot of the commentaries I read it's likely that Ezra had died at this point uh, because you know there was a a Zadok was a a, another person called a scribe which would have been the position of Ezra now I would have thought Ezra would be the man to say no no we can't do this people of God but it seems that Ezra maybe has died likely has died and now there's no men leading there's no, there's no one stepping up and, and calling the people back to Christ calling, or, or, or the Lord, calling them back to repentance, right? Calling them back to the covenant they had kept. And so, uh, so that's what we're going we're gonna to see. We're going to see, um, you, you know, a level of compromise. We're going to see how we need to be fighting that even in our own lives and, and, and look at how Nehemiah dealt with it. So let's, let's dive in. Let me read one through. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to break it up into into parts, okay? One through three. Let's read that. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Uh, let me give you a little backstory. Um, most of you know about uh, Balaam's talking donkey, right? Maybe you've heard of that or you've seen some, something about that story. Well, and they're, they're, uh, what it is is, is um, you have the king of Moab uh, who is, is wanting to get uh, God's people to uh, intermarry. And the reason why he wants to get them to intermarry is because uh, he wants to dilute uh, their worship of the one true God and bring them into the kingdom of the Moabites. Uh, so, so he his aim is that, and what he you know what what they're bringing Balaam, who was kind of this sorcerer, in. They, they want Balaam to look over the people of God and to curse them. And, and this is the whole scene where he's on the way and there's this angel going to kill him but the donkey like falls into a wall and stops and he gets mad at the donkey right and, and finally he realizes hey the donkey saved my life and, and when, when the donkey told him that which is neat and then uh, and, and then he, he goes and, and sure enough he looks over the people of God and instead of uh, cursing them as they wanted him to do and they were going to pay him handsomely to do he puts a blessing on them And God then invokes a punishment on the Moabites and the Ammonites that they were not to enter into uh, worship with the people of God. He wanted to keep them separate because their main goal was to intermarry and to dilute the true worship of God. Now, this is not holistically true about Moabites, Ammonites. I would point point you to Ruth, who was a Moabitess, right? Uh, and and uh, who, um, who, who God not only redeems, brings to be a part of his people, but she's included in the lineage of Christ. And so it's, not, it's, not for, it's for those Moabites and Ammonites who are unrepentant, who have no desire for God, who only want to see the worship of God diluted and want to compromise the, 
the people of God uh, in their worship of God. And so, uh, so, so he references again uh, that law. He says we need to separate from, from these folks. Now, what Nehemiah is seeing here, Nehemiah is seeing that Satan has wormed himself back into the people of God to get them to compromise in small ways but it, you know, as as everything that starts small ends up being much larger than you anticipated it being, right? You know, it's the saying about about sin; it always takes you further than you want to go, and that's exactly what has happened here: is that sin has taken them further than they want to go. They open the door, they compromise just a little bit, and then all of a sudden they're, they're, they don't realize where they are. And Nehemiah is like, "Can't you see this?" And so he says, "We gotta, we gotta separate." And, and then he's gonna call them out on all the ways that they have compromised their covenant and compromise, compromise God's word. So let's read verse four through nine. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering. The, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and to the contributions for the, for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I, I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Uh, the first level of compromise you're going to see here is uh, compromise in relationships. So let me, let me break it down, what's happening here. Um, so the room in which uh, was to store the tithe, the wine, the grain, the oil, the frankincense, all the stuff the people were giving unto the, 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 the temple in order for the temple to, to be ran by the priest. That room was gutted and turned into an Airbnb. And Eliashib, the high priest, rented that Airbnb out to Tobiah. Tobiah, if you will remember at the beginning of Nehemiah, Tobiah was the antagonist. T Tobiah was the one who continued to come and discourage the people of God. He was set against Nehemiah. He was writing letters, trying to get the work of Nehemiah to be stopped. And now he's taken up residence where the tithe should be. And so Nehemiah's angry he's upset about this he comes in he, he's like he's like full-on angry landlord he kicks to buy out throws out his couch his you know his sofa bed he throws it out and 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 gets him out of uh, of the room now there's a couple of reasons why why nehemiah is angry here first of all it is tobiah who is not an Israelite. He, 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 it's confusing because he's related to Eliashib, by, Eliashib the high priest, by marriage, uh, but he's also got a Hebrew name, which means God is good. And, uh, and so, you know, obviously you have a, a man here that, that is, is connected to the high priest and to the people of Israel, though he's not, though he's not uh, an Israelite fully. 
And so Nehemiah, again, is saying we need to separate from people who aren't Israelites and who aren't worshiping God. We need to get him out of here. Not only do we need to separate him, but why is he living in the place where the tithe is supposed to be held? So he's, he's, he's upset about that. Second reason he's upset, and we'll see in kind of the next point too, is that what has happened because there is no room for the tithe is that the Levites and the priests have now gone to work other jobs. And so because they have to feed themselves and their families, they're working farms and lands, and they're, they're doing what they've got to do to support their families. And because of that, temple worship is neglected. There's no tithe to bring in. There's no, there's no uh, things to offer sacrifices. There's no way that they can feed their family. So they neglect the temple, and they go out to, to make money. And so Nehemiah's ticked about it. Because, again, you're seeing just a whole breaking of the covenants that they vowed to keep uh, towards the, the people of God. Now, one of the things I want to point out here is that, and, and the point that I gave you at the top is that um, compromise, they, they compromise in relationships. This is how oftentimes compromise enters into our life. So often a person's situation, their circumstance, would dictate their theology as opposed to theology dictating our circumstances. And by that I mean, I, I can tell you testimony after testimony of people who held fast to God's word on particular issues. One in particular is the issue of homosexuality, where they're firm against homosexuality until they have one of their own children come out as homosexual, and then surely God will allow this to be okay. It's a, a situation where a circumstance dictates a theology. Outside of a th instead of a theology dictating circumstance. We do this with a lot of people, though. When, when, we talk to, when I talk to folks about people from other faiths, let, let's take the Mormon um, cult, for instance. Uh, the M Mormonism is a, uh, if you don't know this, uh, it is a denial of Jesus as God. So it is a, a complete robbing of the Trinitarian God that we worship. It's a complete watering down of his effectiveness on the cross of Christ. And therefore, it's not the gospel. However, they're moralist. So they keep a lot of rules. And so oftentimes what people will say, well, surely God will be gracious to them because they're good people. And, and they're nice. And or, I got a friend that's a nice Mormon. Uh, and, and so you see how our relationship begins to compromise um, our convictions and compromise the word of God. The truth is, no, they're not. They, they believe a false gospel. And, and, and they should be rebuked and told, stop depending upon. People say, well, they're so moral. I say, because they have to be or they're going to hell. In their minds, if they're not good, they're going to hell. If they haven't earned their salvation, they're going to hell. It's not a dependency upon Christ. And so, uh, but you can see how in, 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 in any relationship, or any relationship, I, I've heard this recently, I know we're a pretty heavy Catholic culture around here, uh, where it's like, hey, do we believe the same things? And uh, I think there are Christians within, the, within Catholicism, I think that'll be called out, but the doctrines, particularly of Roman Catholicism, is not the gospel. It's a works-based salvation. And so the problem for us, though, is we love people, and you should rightly love people. However, you have to be able to separate loving people with if that love of that person dictates where they spend eternity. 
And so for us, oftentimes relationships cause us to compromise convictions because, ah, maybe God didn't mean that. No, he did mean it. He does mean it. And so we want to continue to be people that stand on God's word as Nehemiah is coming back in. He didn't care that Tobiah was related to Eliashib. He didn't care that he had a Hebrew name. He cared that he was not walking rightly and that the Israelites were not walking rightly. And so he came in to squash that, that compromise uh, on behalf of, of the people. But oftentimes, that kind of theological compromise can creep in, and we have to be careful of that. Uh, we have to be very careful of that. All right, let, let's read on. Uh, verse 10. I also found that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. This was what I was preaching just a moment ago. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses uh, Shelemiah and the, the priest, Zadok the scribe, Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan the son of Zachar, son of Mataniah. For they were considered uh, reliable, and their duty was to distribute to the brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God for his service. Uh, we see here just quickly, um, because we've taught this, uh, it's really been, giving has been a lot in Nehemiah. Uh, but we see a compromise of, of finances. Uh, obviously, spiritual problems are often connected. It's rare that someone is great everywhere in their life spiritually but generosity. Uh, typically, if you're not a generous person, it's because there's other spiritual areas of unhealth in your life. Um, and, uh, and, and that's typically how it works. I mean, some, some folks may give to compromise, to, to compensate for other spiritual levels of unhealth. But typically, uh, what happens is if you're not a generous person, it's because there's other things going on spiritually that you need to bring unto the Lord, bring into submission unto the Lord. Um, and, and so you, you see that here. You see that they're connected. So you have uh, a lack of giving unto the temple work because they had compromised in many areas. They compromised in their view of the temple, bringing Tobiah in to live. They compromised in letting the Levites not take care of the temple to have to go work their own fields. And so they had kind of let that compromise come into the whole society uh, as, a, as just a general um, uh, what, what they were doing and therefore it was just a, a holistic need to come and bring themselves back unto submission unto the Lord and uh, and walk rightly now you know I think uh, uh, what I do want to say before I move on obviously you see what we're going to talk about the biblical nature of the tithe in the weeks to come but what I want to what I want to say just in passing is that we see this spiritual compromise um, has has um, it, it has a negative effect on your giving. Uh, you know, if you're not, you know, God is a generous God who makes his children generous people. So if you are not a generous person, it's, there's, there's some kind of missing link in there for you. Um, and the problem may not be the problem, although the problem could be the problem. You could just be greedy or you could be selfish or whatever it is. You, you could love money more than you love God. You could be serving money instead of serving God. Oftentimes, though, the problem is not the problem. There's other issues spiritually at work, that, uh, and that's kind of more of a symptom. 
of, of, a, of an inward reality. And so you see when compromise comes in, this is why I always say that, uh, you know, oftentimes a great check of spiritual health is your generosity. If you're generous, if, if you're not a generous person, there's probably other spiritual things at work there that need to be dealt with. Um, and so you see the compromise there. Now, let's, let's read on. And, uh, before I do, though, I, I do want to remind you that uh, Malachi was also ministering in this time. And if you read Malachi, Malachi talks about that they were robbing God by not bringing the tithe into the storehouse. So that he accuses the people of robbing God by not being generous. I want to just remind you uh, that it's important for us not to compromise in that area too maybe that's the way the enemy works in your life for some he works in that way for some he works in other ways don't compromise here and we'll we'll talk more about uh, setting up those boundaries uh, verse 15 in those days i saw in judah people treading wine presses on the sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food, uh, Tyrenians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish of all kind, uh, and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing? Profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? And now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then look at this. Verse 20. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice but I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. I love that. And from that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love the compromise here that i want to point to is a compromise of time and not not necessarily use of the time but specifically um you see that the people of god has have broken the covenant that they made to keep the sabbath they they covenanted together not to intermarry which they were doing covenanted together not to break the sabbath they covenanted together the tithe all of them they were breaking they were breaking all the covenants that they had made and so again, they're, they're, remember, we talked about how the Israelites were really good. Jews were really good about finding loopholes to the law, right? And so particularly, they weren't working on the Sabbath, but they were basically paying other guys to come in and do the work for them. 
And so one of the things they covenanted together was that they were going to not do that anymore. They were going to keep those tradesmen from coming in on the Sabbath and doing work on the Sabbath. And yet, here we are. They had, they had come in and began to, to sell. And surely they had great excuses. But don't we do the same thing? Don't we, don't we neglect to... to Obviously, we, we're not bound to Sabbath as law, but we, we're bound to it principally. We, it's a valuable thing for us. God has, has given it to us as, as a gift that we're supposed to have a day that we rest and, and worship Him. But don't we come up with all kinds of excuses, right? I mean, um, we could work. We could work on the Lord's day. We could spend all day today working. And we'd... Maybe make more money. That's an, that you know. Some people say, "See, I got a valid excuse. I got to pay the bills." And yet, it's a level of compromise. Uh, what about you know? Uh, especially when you talk to non-believers around here, you ask them, "Hey, where you go to church?" Oh, I don't go to church because I, uh, uh, you know, Sunday is my only day to sleep in. I said, "We got a service at ten thirty. How much sleep you need?" Right? I know you played Xbox till three in the morning, but you know, go to bed sooner. You know, and 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 uh, but 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 that's what we do. We we come up with excuses to say, man, I don't. You know, I, 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 and what it is, it's a, it shows the desire of the heart more than anything. Compromises come in and giving you greater affections for the things of the world than the things of of God. And this is what compromise does. It starts as, man, I just need a little more sleep, and and one Sunday. One Sabbath day turns into months and years. And what started as a small crack in the dam blew it wide open. Sin always takes you further than you, than you want to go. And so you, you see this uh, Nehemiah calling out uh, them for breaking the Sabbath. What I love about this, first of all, I love that Nehemiah says, you do this again, I'm going to lay hands on you. Um, I love that aggressiveness. Can I just say that? I love it. I love it. And, uh, and, and, and I think it implores us to take even more seriously how we deal with sin. Particularly sin in our own life. We'll, we'll talk about it in a moment. But, uh, but, but this move of aggressiveness to lay hands on. So, so, so here's what they were doing. They were coming to, to, to trade on the Sabbath. He locked the gates. And it said for one or two Sabbaths, they still camped outside the gates. And he says, what are you doing? Go away, or I'm going to lay hands on you. I'm going to tell you what they were doing. This is what happens in all of our lives. We covenant with God. We set up boundaries. We build up walls. We, those walls have gates. And, and compromise is waiting just outside that gate, hoping that the gate opens just a little bit. Hoping that you click on that website just one time. Hoping that you come up with that excuse. And it, it is sits outside the gate waiting to prey on you. Because it knows they've been weak once, they're going to be weak again. They've compromised conviction before, they're going to do it again. And this is where we have to be aggressive to fight the compromise in our own life to say no you're not coming in and if I need to I'm going to lay hands on you that we are 
we are watchmen on the wall. We are aware. Our eyes are open. We are alert. We, 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 have, we are ready for a fight. And we're not going to compromise here. And where the enemy would come in and say, ah, it's, that's not that big a deal. Surely, there's grace here for you. And certainly for those in Christ, there is. However, let us be a people that cut off the head of the snake in our life, in our family's life. That we do not allow compromise to live at our gates. And that's what Nehemiah's doing here. He's saying, no, no, no. Compromise is lurking just outside the gates. We're going to squash it. We're going to kill it. We're going to get rid of it. And then let's read on. Verse 23. In those days also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. If you've got a Bible, I'd suggest you underline verse 24 here. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I get emotional every time I read it a little bit. Because in, in, in a first read, you might be like, what is he talking about? But we'll talk about it. Go back. In those days also, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. And they could not speak the language of Judah. But only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them an oath, take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him, even him, to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. I think the last compromise that I want to point out is a compromise in our homes. I spoke a couple of weeks ago, I think what is the main context of this passage, which is believers should not marry unbelievers. Uh, it is dangerous. It is unwise. It is a, a, a breach in the commandment of God given to us. You can go back and listen to that sermon. Second application, I just want to again read verse 24. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. And they could not speak the language of Judah. And I think my generation, you've got young children, you've got teenage children. This is one of the greatest areas of compromise within the church. Is that our children know the language of the world, but they do not know the language of God. Our children know every viral TikTok video, but they do not know the Bible. 
Our children can sing every song on the radio, but they do not have the song of the Lord in their heart. And this is a battle that we are in. It's a battle that comes across every YouTube commercial. It's a battle that comes across every day of their education. And the greatest, I think, compromise of parents, myself is included in this, is that we so often choose to be the friend of our children rather than their parent. And I'm guilty. There's no condemnation coming from me. I'm preaching to myself. And the problem is that our kids know the language of Ashtab, but they don't know the language of Judah. And we wonder what happened to our children when they got to college? They're just speaking the language they know. Well, I took them to church. That's great. That's one hour a week, maybe two or three if you come on Wednesdays. They watch more YouTube than that in a week. My children included. And so this is one of the greatest on guard for our families that we need to be. What language are we teaching our children? And not just, I'm not talking about force feeding them facts, Bible trivia, even scripture memory. I'm talking about what language do they speak? they go through suffering what language do they speak when you talk about the desires of their heart what they want most what language do they speak do they see christ truly worshiped in our homes do they see the bible opened and adored in our home do they see a father that will weep over the over their children's salvation they see a mother who will pour over the word of God that their children might know him. Or do they see just a busy home going to soccer and eating in front of a TV and rushing to get them to school? And we pray before meals, but do we really worship Christ here? And this is a place where we need to sure up walls, families. And uh, I think Nehemiah brings a strong word to the people of God in the hopes that they would do just that. Two weeks ago, I, uh, and it's, I think it's for their good. Two weeks ago, I went to the dentist, and uh, I brushed my teeth, okay, like all of you, I hope. Some of you need to brush a little more, but, but we brush our teeth. I brush my teeth. I'm not big on flossing, but, you know, 
and I go to the dentist, and, you know, my dentist looks uh, at my teeth, and she's like, you know, they never say you have a cavity. They say, ah, oh, there's just a little spot back here. What does that mean? You know? And then, I don't know, it's weird here than in Tennessee. Usually it's, uh, then I go to a different room to get a cleaning. It's weird. I don't know. It's like a factory. I don't know. Um, I'm in Dennis Mill back there. And then all of a sudden, this, this lady is my, I guess, the lady cleaning my teeth, dental hygienist. I don't know what she is. Um, you know, she, she, she has an accent. She's wearing a mask and wearing a shield. And so you know me. I'm like, she says something. I'm like, huh? Uh-huh. She says it again. Ultimately, I didn't hear her. What I interpreted it as was, your teeth are all about to fall out. You're going to need dentures. <laughs> you need to start flossing. And uh, I took that warning seriously. So you should know your pastor's flossing his teeth twice a day. Yeah. I might do that for another week or so. I really felt the need with all the Halloween candy I ate to floss a little more. But it was a warning given to me that was pretty extreme, but for my good. And I think that's exactly what Nehemiah is telling the people of God here. So oftentimes we don't move until we realize the consequences if we don't. And having been in ministry 20 years, there are grave consequences for letting compromise come into our homes. Now, I want to read the rest of the passage and I want to speak a word because maybe, maybe you are feeling very hopeless right now. So let, let's finish out the passage. I want to speak to your heart. Verse 30 and 31. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. The last point, I just put, pull out some hair just so you can remember it. Yes, we need to get aggressive in the compromises in our life. We have to be willing to even lay hands on sin. We may have to pull out hair we have to get serious about the compromises that are happening in our life but but here's the the last bit of encouragement that i that i'm wanting because nehemiah does that he comes in very strong he's you know he he's probably gets accused of being mean and 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 uh you know not not very loving and but he comes in and he he he, he moves the people of god back to commitment to the covenant that they had made very forcefully he does that and so we could hear this and, and, and think, okay, uh, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to fight better and all those kinds of things, which we need to step into some of that. But here's what you need to understand, especially if you're feeling very hopeless right now, because I, I know, I know that there are many of you that your days of children raising are gone. And you would look back on those days and you're filled with guilt right now. You're filled with guilt. And there are parents my age, you have small children, and you right now, you're like, I'm a terrible parent. You're not. Well, some of you might be, but by and large. Here's what I would encourage you. First of all, I would encourage you in this. The only hope that any of us have of protecting our hearts, homes, lives from compromise is the cross of Christ. 
There is no way that you're going to ever be good enough, strong enough, uh, fortified enough to defeat Satan. You have to run to Jesus. He is the only way that you're going to be able to put on the armor of God to fight the good fight of faith and to persevere to the end. It's in Christ and Christ alone. So don't hear this message as, I got to do some to do lists. I got to, you know, delete YouTube. I've got to do these things. I, I, no, no, hear this. Run to Jesus, run to Christ fall before him and sing the sweetest song of holy, holy, holy is he. Worthy, worthy is Christ. Behold him, not your efforts or morality. The second thing I want to breathe life into you in. You feel guilty. I want to encourage you that your, your children may be grown, they may be out of the house, they may be teenagers. They, they may have already formulated habits that are beyond your control. God can restore the years the locusts have eaten. And by that I mean, it is never too late for you to have influence for Christ in your family's life. It, uh, patriarchs of families in here, I would implore you, don't just sit silently getting old and getting ready to die, but use your last days for the work of Christ in your family's life. Step into it. Embrace it. Encourage them. Challenge them. Point to the scriptures. Read the Bible together. God can do great things. It's not too late. God can use you for the redemption and salvation of your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Maybe when you're here and you could never have kids or you haven't had children, I would encourage you are just as important for, for fortifying and, and, and eliminating compromise in the life of your own life and in the community of this church as any parent is in this place. We are only as godly as we are together. So may we press in to unity and community. May we press in. You know, Nehemiah called out all of them and said, we got to be done with compromise. Let us do the same thing. Let us press into Christ. Cling to him our only hope. And, and say, hey, we're not going to get this perfectly. We're going to fail in a lot of ways. But by God's help, we're going to move from compromise to covenant commitment and, and walking and standing on our convictions for Christ to the glory of God let's pray together Father the gospel gives us the greatest hope for compromise because every one of us has done this we've all compromised I have compromised we have areas of weakness and struggle and Temptation that we have opened the gate to and uh, our only hope is the cross of Christ. And so, Father, would you help us to realize that not just in a salvific way, but every single morning that it is the cross, that, is, that it is Jesus 
and his work on the cross that has saved us. It is Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that sustains us. And it is by God's grace and by God's power that we will be carried to the end. And so, Father, this is not some kind of self-help message that says, you know, we can use our mistakes or use our past, you know, to be better people. No. We run to Jesus, for He is the only one who is good. And He is doing a work in us that can only be accredited to Him. And so, Father, would You make us Stronger, more alert, watchmen on the wall. By your power, by your grace, your mercy, and for your glory. We don't want children that are just moralist. We want men and women, young men and women that are passionate about Jesus. We don't want homes. that are just bubbled and protected from the world. We want base camps (laughs) that are training up husbands and wives and children to take the light and the glory of God to the darkness without compromise, without having the darkness infiltrate our own hearts. So God, would you empower us all the more to do just that? Father, I know that there are souls, people in this room or watching online that do not have a relationship with Jesus. They have not had their sins dealt with. And so the wrath of God remains on them. This morning, God, I pray that you would save them. And that that wrath that they deserve would be quenched on the cross of Christ. We love you. And we need you so desperately. So that we can walk in the same way in which you walked. So that we can be salt and light to the world. So that we can have a great impact for the kingdom. So would you come and move in us and give us more of yourself. In Christ's name we pray, amen.